The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 157. Hello. Brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation. Not yet, Ben. <laughs> Brought to you by the fine folk at SB... Dang it. Fine folk at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Fun. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. As always... Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game. It's debatable. He is hey. Benjamin Solak, <laughs> Mr. Niger Streak Without a Bad Day. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. Well, don't interrupt me, Ben. Follow him on <laughs> follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, everything is delicious. Thank you for asking. It was nice to go through some film that did not make me want to yell. We're not going to yeah. let me know what do you want to yell about at the opening of this podcast. I mean, I'm sure we could come up with something if we wanted to. But generally speaking, positive film, which is new and refreshing. I mean, it wasn't exactly fun film, but it definitely was positive film. So today is going to be the film review of the Eagles comeback win over the New York football giants on Monday Night Football. Of course, the final score in that one, 23 to 17. Clutch Carson pulls it out in the end. Big time stuff. Signature win for my guy. Don't agree with Peterson as far as it being his best game of his career. But first, before we get into the film review stuff and start really breaking things down, Ben, we got to talk about what's going on with the Eagles from an injury standpoint and kind of figure out what that means. So Alshon Jeffrey, pretty much we can assume that he is done for the season. I don't think it's been confirmed by anyone that it was an Achilles pop. I've heard it referred to as like a foot injury. As you mentioned on the recap show, it looked like an Achilles pop to me. And either way, he's going to be done for the season. So that leaves the Eagles in a bit of a bind. So what you're looking at from the wide receiver group is that Nelson Aguilar's status is still up in the air. But the way that Peterson made it sound after this game, and the reason that the Eagles may have only carried three wide receivers because they were somewhat expecting Nelson to play or at least to be very close so I'm assuming that he's going to play like did you know that by the way NFL I didn't even realize this until today it never crossed my mind the NFL got rid of the probable designation yeah when it came to injury reports back in 2016 so the way I see it is if it was a designation that you could still use that Nelson Aguilar would be probable for this 
upcoming game with the uh, with Washington. So what you're looking at for the receiver group is probably Nelson Aguilar, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Greg Ward, and then probably they're going to call up one of the practice squad guys. I made a guess earlier today on Twitter and said that it would be Mark and Michelle. We'll see on that. Maybe it's Robert Davis or, or one of the other guys. But then at tight end, they'll probably have three active. It'll be Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, and then Josh Perkins. Perkins can also take snaps as a pure wide receiver. Of course, we know that the tight ends take a lot of snaps at various wide receiver alignments. Zach Ertz operates a lot out of the slot. So that's seven guys. I never feel comfortable with seven guys for the Eagles because of how bad their injury history has been recently. But I think that's the look that you're going to get. Ben, is a, do you have any differing thoughts on what that the active roster is going to be and if it's even something that the Eagles can survive with based on kind of the film that you saw too, but moving forward? Robert Davis had the best spark score of all 2017 NFL draft wide receivers coming out. I saw that a, l- a listener uh, sent that to us. Yeah. 141.5 was his spark, which uh, spark is speed, power, athleticism, requirements. I don't know. You, you see his uh, sweet breakout age, too? What's that? I'm not a fan of breakout age, by the way, but it was, it was like 95th percent. He's Georgia State, right? So he's Sunbelt. Yeah. Like, I don't know. To me, when you don't have like a, a, a constant stream of recruits, if you get a good wide receiver recruit, you start playing him right away. Like I don't I, I don't under really understand the context for the age things. But yeah. my main thing is that this dude ran out of the gym four 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 forty, jumped out of the gym, one hundred thirty six inch broad, forty one inch vert, and three coned out of the gym, turned out of the gym, uh six eight two three cone. All of this at a healthy six three, two hundred and twenty pounds. That is impressive. Uh, mm. It has never shown up on the film that I have watched of this young man. <laughs> I agree. But in terms of people that I would call, I think I'd probably call this cat up over Michelle because I think you already have Mark and Michelle active in Greg Ward and you don't have a Robert Davis like person. Uh, That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. But, so, yeah, I just I was when I was, you know, researching Eagles practice squad wide receivers at two in the morning, you know, <laughs> on Monday night. I think I talked myself into Robert Davis over uh mark and michelle it's also like i don't know i would i would also look at other practice squads and potentially grabbing a guy from them because you can grab from other teams practice squads if you immediately promote to the active roster and like michelle and davis has not been in the building for long enough for you to say oh well they know you know like the offense you know and like we can integrate them faster versus like you know adding another guy and just having a package of plays for him but either way i think whoever it is and i said this on twitter too and and i care so much about this that you've already changed my mind because of the the type of receiver that you're talking about and where they need the depth i i think that maybe robert davis is the better choice but no matter what i think josh perkins is receiving more snaps at wide receiver than whoever it is that they call it from the practice squad would you agree with that yeah i think that perkins is what they want in a player anyway right like oh he's a tight end but he's not really and it's hard to cover him <laughs> if you're a safety or a linebacker i.e check the fourth the fourth quarter game against the giants um mm. i think so yeah i think that that perkins has been around for a while if you remember it was uh the tampa bay game you remember this week two 2018 it was uh alshon was out golden tate was out jordan matthews was out so th- Three of the starting four wide receivers were out for week two. And Josh Perkins took 26 snaps. Yeah. Which more than Dallas Goddard. Goddard, who's the Eagles' second-round mm. rookie, took 17 in that game. Week three, uh, Perkins would go on to take 31% of the snaps as well with Alshon Jeffrey and Golden Tate still out. They did a lot of Perkins at 
wide receiver in that Tampa Bay game is the one that sticks out to my memory. Week three, I believe, was the Colts, if memory serves. And I don't know if they did as much. But in Tampa, I mean, they would put him as backside X and just throw him slants. You know, he's a big dude. Mm -hmm. He's tough for corners to get around if he's able to immediately generate leverage. It's the same theory as Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard as wideouts, but Perkins is smaller and faster. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that we'll see Perkins lined up out wide a fair, fair, fair bit moving forward, period. And then especially if there's no Nelson Aguilar, I think that's going to be one of your solutions to your problem. The whole not having, like, okay, the Eagles had three active wide receivers, and that was objectively bad. I'm not excusing that at all. But the fact that we've gotten to this point does serve as a good reminder that this is a 6-7 and seven team we're talking about winning out and, and making it to the playoffs and winning the division and, and you know, underachieving. But we're also talking about which practice squad wide receiver is going to start. Like that's the, you know, injuries are one thing. Injuries at just one position really, really eats away at your ability to execute your offense. You know, you lose a starting offensive lineman, a starting target, a starting running back, you know, try to keep things afloat. You lose three starting wide receivers. I mean, you're, you're scrounging for scraps. You know what I mean? So it's a good reminder where we are in terms of the Eagles health that we got to the situation where it's okay, Mark and Michelle or Robert Davis, pick your poison. How are we going to win a football game? It's it's fascinating. But I mean, as long as Carson Wentz plays at the level that he did towards the end of the Giants game and the coaching staff coaches it up, then I think they should be okay. Ben, do you want to transition into the film review? Or do you have any other points to hit before we really start digging into what we saw yeah, I do from the say, almighty I, um, all 22? Uh, we, we talked a little bit in the Slack channel about this. We should probably discuss hmm. it out loud. Alshon Jeffrey injured uh, trade value. I don't think they're going to try to trade him. But also, I think that, like, you know, the question's been, all right, if they tried to trade him, you know, will they have to pay somebody to basically take on his contract? I really don't think so. Uh, I think that they would not get a huge return on investment. I don't think a, a competitor is going to be like, yes. I will spend you significant. I will send you significant capital. I will send you a significant young player so that I can get the opportunity to pay Alshon Jeffrey sixteen million dollars. But Alshon's game isn't really predicated on quickness anyway. So like, if he continues to deteriorate in terms of speed, he's just going to keep playing the same role for Philadelphia that he already played. Yeah. And this is still a player that's good when he's healthy. Now, if he's never ever going to be healthy again. No one's going to trade for him anyway. Again, like if it's the whole like sell the contract thing, sure. But I don't think the Eagles are going to need cap space that badly. So I don't know. Not next year, no. My, I, I think like Alshon trade situations are thought exercises, but I really don't think they're feasible. This is, it was very likely he was going to be on this team when he was healthy. And it's very likely he's going to be on this team next year, even though he's injured now. Yeah, there's a lot of different prohibitive factors that go into that. So I think I'm with you as well there. Obviously, we're going to touch more onto the injury aspect as we get more updated reports from practice. But, I, but one thing we can know, really, Lane Johnson with his high ankle sprain, Halapuli Vatsivate is going to start at right tackle. So they're not going to move Peters over to right tackle to put in Andre Dillard at left. They're going to put in Vitae, which scares the crap out of me and just gives the offensive coaching staff one more thing to consider as far as the limitations of the players that they have on the field. So just you can't afford another up and down game from Carson throughout this special throughout this this stretch and hopefully you get Lane back for the Dallas game but even then that's coming back we talked about it with Saquon Barkley coming back too early from the high ankle sprain limited his effectiveness I think the same case can be made for Lane Johnson if he's going to come back within what less than 14 days from a high ankle sprain 
that sounds that sounds tough to me. So the Eagles are hurting real bad right now. Luckily, based on what, what we saw, because Jaw came off and it looked like he was holding his hammy during the during the Giants game. He's okay. Greg Ward was lumping around. Looks like he's okay. Looks like Miles Sanders is going to be okay. So there's all that. Jordan Howard is, is still dead. That's a massive cover up. I don't think he's alive anymore. His family should be looking for him. So there's that. Anyway, Ben, let's get in to the film review. We'll start with the, uh, why don't we start with the Eagles offense? I want to hit like an overarching theme here, and I kind of touched on this in the QB Sco show, so just let me, allow me to sound off a little bit more on that before uh Mike, before you I can do whatever you want. Thank you, bud. But uh, you, you look at the time to throw for Carson, and this kind of is an overarching point that has a lot of different nuance to it. But 2.66 time to throw, a little bit slower than we've seen for most of the games from Carson. It's faster than we've seen in the games where he's really struggled. It's no big deal. It's for good reason, too. And I've criticized the offense for not trying to stretch vertically, even without a real deep threat. I mean, guys still have to run with guys. They still have to cover them. Right. And in this game, I felt like they had more three-level stretches. They really tried to. And even multiple vertical routes to different areas of the field, especially in the first half, they had more of that with of what we're used to when we're seeing Philadelphia, when they're trying to stress the intermediate and deep portions of the field. The problem was, outside of a couple plays, and we can talk about that later on, there really wasn't much working there, especially early. Guys struggled to create separation either due to their own limitations or because the right plays weren't dialed up at the right time against the right coverage, and thus you saw Carson hold on to the ball a little bit longer, which isn't a knock on him. He has to wait for that post in the middle of the field to develop. He has to wait for that deep comeback to come off. So that was kind of baked into the cake. And I can pretty much guarantee that if you split it by half, it would look like something like 2.8 seconds in the first half, 2.4 seconds time to throw in the second half. And maybe there's an even bigger gulf there. But there was a notable difference to me at the second half. At the very least, it had a better mixture of quick game concepts with vertical game concepts mixed into it. When you break it up, two of his sacks came in the first half, both on third and long, waiting for things to come open. Second half, he took one, and it was where Vitae just got blown past by O'Shane Zimenez. Mm -hmm. And they had a quick game call for that third sack. They were running a mesh sit variation, basically. Yeah, that was cool. It didn't work at all. But I was like, hey, that's nifty. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So when you continue to dig into the analytics, about half the time he was over 2.5 seconds. He was 11 for 22 with a passer rating of 66.5. Under 2.5 seconds, he was 22 of 28, 121 passer rating with two touchdowns. And again, I have complained about them not trying to get vertical. There are limitations with the personnel. I get that. I think there are limitations with the ideas and the passing concepts too, which is part of that complaint. And right now, this offense has to survive in the short game. And when Wentz is on and clicking on the quick game stuff and his process is on point, they can survive that way. You saw it on the first touchdown drive against the Giants. They can survive that way as long as when they do mix in the deeper concepts that they hit on a few of them. And when they they, they did after the half, I thought that, like I said, there was a better mix. And despite at that point having even less depth. At wide receiver, and you're taking away an intermediate threat in Alshon Jeffrey, even if he's not a deep threat, he works the intermediate areas of the field really well. So there are ways to get through this, and it's not always going to be pretty, but the Eagles coaching staff has got to find a way, even when they bog down early because the plan wasn't working. Hopefully the defense can keep it close, but they've got to find a way to make the necessary in-game adjustments to exploit the realities on the battlefield. They did it against the Giants. The Giants players even said it themselves or alluded to it that they didn't make the adjustments that they needed to make. It was late for the Eagles. It almost wasn't enough. It's got to be better, but it's a win, and it came on 20 unanswered points, so I won't complain too much. Ben, what are your thoughts on that? The same opinion as you did, which was like, oh, hey, like they're 
trying to run more downfield routes this game. Yep. That's nifty, fun. I also think one of the reasons that you had an extended time to throw is because they took Carson out of the pocket more. They took him out There's on, some of that. on uh, sprint outs don't really. Sprint outs can be a really quick release, but they rolled him out a lot more, which I was very happy to see. Something that we have asked for many times uh, in, in this podcast, hoping that getting Carson and moving his launch point will not only help him see the field better because it's going to shift the defense, but also is going to uh, mitigate the concerns about his pocket management, about his ball security in the pocket. Um, when you were talking, the plays that kind of stick out to me, uh, the deep Zach Ertz throw in quarter yes. two, yep. which that was uh, uh, 1250. They had the double post and it kind of looks like a scissors type deal, but it just has a double. Right, post exactly. Depot with a corner with a flag is a really fun little concept. This reminds me of actually the post post wheel that they ran against Jacksonville last year in terms of where the distribution of the routes ends up and the timing of it. And the, mm. the funny thing is like, so they hit this with Ertz. And basically, you know, running two posts at a single high safety and then sneaking a a leaking tight end, uh, a leaking corner round underneath those two posts, you got to communicate a lot in the defensive backfield and you need your linebackers to potentially gain depth and sink underneath that. Hard to do, hard to communicate if you have enough time to pull that off. Uh, the Eagles are uh, used play action to pull this off. They use deep drops to pull this off because if you go to quarter four, um, when they're knocking on the door and then they add the eventual Greg Ward drop, uh, mm. Same exact concepts here, actually twice. And so yep. it's um, on second and 11, which was the J.J. Ortega white side pass interference. The Eagles, once again, they ran a two-post concept with a, a uh, leaking J.J. Ortega white side underneath it on a deep crosser. In an attempt to cut the crosser, Giants let one of the posts wide open. Eagles mm. could have had this one. Uh, Miles Sanders is not effective enough in pass protection to give Carson the time to sit in the pocket and see this develop. Don't worry, Booger said he did a great job, so it's not a problem. Uh, I died at that. Like, he right. just flat out whiffs. He he stands and, like, he gets to the right, right. point. He just whiffs. And then third and 11, uh, very next play, Eagles come with two deep, uh, an out cut, a deep in cut, so two guys moving uh, to the right side of the formation, about 15 yards deep, and then they send a post opposite that. And again, the safety's late picking it up. That should have been the Greg Ward touchdown. Right. Three deep routes since when was this allowed right exactly that's what i mean there was a ton of this on all three concepts i just brought up the eagles had again three routes breaking at 12 to 15 yards down the field it's flooding deep zones you very it's very hard if you're gonna break three routes later than 12 i mean you're gonna get one-on-one coverage down the field with guys trying to recover their out leverage you need the the time and pass protection to do that as i brought up on the miles sanders play second 11 that's 10 16 in the fourth quarter didn't have the time, would have been a touchdown. Third and 11, had the time, should have been a touchdown, drop, right? And so again, like, you know, we're, we're at a point where, as you very nicely brought up, you can't execute, can't execute. There's, you know, Jordan Howard and Sean Jackson are in this. They would have scored <laughs> twice, <laughs> you know? Like, it, it would have scored a second 11, scored on uh, third and 11. Um, yep. But then you have to you have to settle for a three-point attempt, which you then miss. So, so three straight really plays. Uh, with that mm-hmm. execution, so this is where where your the fact that your backups are in. I mean, these are, are are beautifully schemed, wonderfully designed. Again, not the exact same concept, but attacking similar ideas, forcing the uh, defense the defenders to communicate fifteen yards down the field. Very difficult to handle. So I liked the fact that we got deeper concepts. I think that longer time to throw is in part because of that. It's also, I think, in part because of the the rollouts and the sprint outs. There were a few three wide receiver floods, four wide receiver floods. On a rollout, you're obviously going to hold the ball for a pretty significant period of time. That inflates your time to throw a little bit. The quick game was 
really, really good pre-snap stuff. They did a good job, quality stuff, finding leverage. One of the things that you saw really work effectively for them in terms of generating immediate leverage and yak opportunities was the use of pre-snap motion, which is not something the Eagles have not used previously. Uh, it's not like a new thing to the offense, but I thought that... Even early, they did it a lot, too, and it continued throughout the game, for, and yeah. then they amped it up how they integrated it later on in the game, too. Right, what I found, right it's like, okay, like, what changed? Well, I think that, you know, they there was a kind of a quote at the end of the game, where, like, we told... You know, we told Carson to stop settling into the offense. We told him to, like let it rip, and I was kind of like, that doesn't make really that much <laughs> sense. But I guess like if your definition of let it rip is if you've got a, a guy out leverage at the snap, just take it. You know, just just don't worry about throwing beyond the six. And we're like, if you just let it rip. Like just see what you're gonna see and throw it. Which in my opinion, he was he was already doing. Um, but I right. guess like if he needed to be told that. Uh, if that was the messaging that, that that unlocked it, you go and you watch the the Josh Perkins uh, third and seven screen, right? I mean, this is for a quarterback. This is an insane trust play because you know at the snap you've got the leverage you want, even as the Giants bail out of their blitz, you have the leverage you want. But this is third and seven. You're throwing the ball two yards by the line of scrimmage to a third tight end. That mm. can't feel good. You want to drop back you know you want to throw this ball beyond the sticks but you're trusting leverage you're trusting an athlete to make a play for you and perkins picks up eight yards the third and ten conversion of boston scott in the third quarter really cool design here like all love to boston scott good football player but what was really fun about this one was excuse me it was third and five boston scott initially starts out flexed all the way out wide in yes. a in an empty set he motions mm-hmm. into the backfield and you can see the Giants, the, uh, uh, Sam Beal passes this off to Julian Love, the strong safety. Love settles as Boston Scott settles into the backfield. And then Scott sprints across the yeah. formation out to the other side. Carson snaps it while he's in motion. So it looked like they were adding Scott to the backfield. They weren't. They wanted the Giants to, to think that. And so the, the motion settled the defense and they hit Scott quickly. That's easy, easy pre-snap motion. Makes your mm-hmm. life effortless as a quarterback. Because the second you see that strong safety fail to gain the necessary width, you you check him right at the snap. He's not there. All right, I'm going near to Boston Scott. He's got to be able to make this play. And it's a variation of their their mesh that wheel. This is a play that, that Mark Schofield brought up on the QB Sco show as an example of something that they were doing to get guys open. And like you said, Julian Love, rookie, second game as a pro, gets caught in a bind. And, you know, you, you let it rip. You get it out. Uh, another thing that can affect time to throw, Ben, I was upset about this one when I went back to the film because I thought that this definitely should have stood. It should have been a touchdown. We're talking second quarter. It's first and nine at the Giants nine at 12.02. This is the nullified Greg Ward touchdown. Nah, he was holding him. He was. Oh, brother. I don't. I, okay, let me. Inside hand, left hand. Take it slow. Inside hand, left hand. While he's scrambling, go to the end zone view and put it in slow motion. Yeah, see, I... Look at Brooks's left hand. Uh, okay, I see the tug now. You see how see, the numbers the... are not the way they're supposed yeah. to look? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I missed it on the first time. Now that no, I trust slow. me. I went right to this play, and I was like, you can find me the hole. Dang it. <laughs> and I looked at it, and I was like, ah, shoot. The spot concept that doesn't come yeah. off because the Giants have, like, four over there anticipating this. They pass it off uh, pretty pretty beautifully. But this is, this is just an example, too, of Carson... Holding onto the ball longer, but doing it for the right reasons. There's nothing there. And then also the pocket movement. I thought he was better at making choices on when to bail, when to get in his scramble in this game. And really, like, without the hold, I don't even think he needs the hold because that big boy ain't getting to Carson. Right. But the throw, you know, to, toward the play that Ward makes, that's still on film. Those are still, like, high-quality plays by them. Right. I will say, um, I'm generally just not stoked with Greg Ward. Um, I think he's he's an average route runner. Uh, yeah. Uh, a below average separator um mm-hmm. 
on this play, you and I have watched the Eagles in the red zone a lot. What route do they typically hit at this depth? Usually, it's the spot concept, which, okay, you've got the, the snag, the flat, right? Uh-huh. And then you've got the corner route. So you're looking at a triangle read. Normally, they hit the post here. Normally, that corner is Normally, a post. it's a copper. Well, the reason is because it's an option. And I think either A, they don't give Greg Ward the option, or B, he doesn't read the option correctly. Right. Because to me, and it's, it's, and, it's, and it's I might be <laughs> it's, wrong. I might be wrong because Carson comes off it too fast. Like yeah. how fast he comes off the three-man read leads me to believe that this is a post or this is a corner the whole way. Yeah. But I'll tell you right now, if Ertz is running this route or Alshon is running this route, the Greg Ward's running the route, he has the option to bend this inside. Yep. And the second you see them push forward a strong against the three-man bunch, I mean, Carson's rocketing this thing in there for a touchdown. He, we've seen him do no it 10,000 times. So this exactly. is, like, you want to talk about <laughs> limited offense because of playing backups. I theorize, and this is a, a theory from watching the Eagles for a long time, it could be very, very wrong, that if this, if Greg Ward, if this is a starter, and is a player that they 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 want to trust more on this route because they're trying to get Zach Ertz on the snag. They're trying to get him on the set, like two yards mm-hmm. out of the end zone. It's first down, yeah. If they're right, if they're if they're if they have their starters in, they're gonna be trying to go to this route. And very typically, they allow this this corner route to bend inside to the post. If you read that you've got leverage inside, which mm-hmm. I mean, he has a hundred yards <laughs> to the inside. <laughs> so I watched this again, like. Maybe this is just biased because I don't love Greg Ward and he's a backup and I want to excuse some things for the offense, but what it seems like to me. Ben, any other thoughts on the offense before we switch sides? I think overall the offensive line played a pretty... Yeah, I want to talk about the running game. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. That's a good qualifier. Yeah, which is... Keep listening. Uh, don't stop. <laughs> but I have no idea what I'm talking about. Why do I have no idea what I'm talking about? I'm I'm going back to zone windback. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this before. I'm kind of obsessed with it now at this Maybe. point. Um, yeah. Are they running duo? I can't tell. I really I think they, can't. I think they are on on definitely a couple of them. I saw Listen, them run they duo ran, with Sanders. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this with certainty. They ran more yeah. duo in this game than they typically do. Let's talk about yeah. duo for a second. Yeah, I don't know because they they run it with Howard. No, I think they ran it more with Sanders than they normally. And run with they Sanders. ran it with Scott. They walked it down the field yeah. in the third quarter for the 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 ten point touchdown. Yep. Scott and Duo, Scott and Duo. Okay, Duo is not inside zone. It looks like inside zone because you it's have... pain. Yeah, so so what you have with Duo is you're going to have a five-man offensive line and you're going to have two tight ends to one side. This is the tight end wing formation, the YY formation. We talk about it a lot in Philadelphia, back in the backfield. You're going to be able to work three double teams. Your backside guard and your center, your play side guard and your tackle... And then your two tight ends will be able to double team to the backside defensive tackle, the front side defensive tackle, and to the, the front side defensive end. The linebackers in reading double teams will step downhill to fill into their gaps, into their bubbles. If and when they do so, the back has the ability to work front side, go behind all those double teams, and he meets a corner in space. When he meets a corner in space, very typically because he's a good uh running back he beats that corner in space we always want to make corners tackle he's able to get to the outside of that corner and it's a significant gain second quarter 1452 miles sanders nine yard gain this is duo i promise i'm positive the eagles stay thick on their double teams all the way up all of the linebackers fill downhill into the gaps created sanders reads the linebackers pushes outside, makes the corner, in this case, Julian Love acting as a strong safety, makes a miss in space, picks up nine yards. 
Saquon Barkley had a very similar run on duo also in this game. It was actually really cool to see. Um, this is duo. I'm positive. But the thing with those double teams is that sometimes the Eagles stay thick to them. And when I say stay thick to them, Isaac Samalo and Brandon Brooks, who are on the backside of these double teams, collision their opponent and then stay there. They stay in contact. They stay fighting pressure with pressure upfield. On other runs, the Eagles don't stay for as long on those double teams. And when they don't stay for as long on those double teams, it's much trickier to figure out is this actually still a duo? Third quarter, 9-33, first and 10, Miles Sanders, another nine-yard run. We got three double teams out of tight end wing-wing. The back is on the same side, though, and the, the Brooks and Samalo work really quickly through the double teams. To me, this is this is zone. Brooks doesn't even, like, try to help on the double team. like cause Right, because I think this is coming backside the whole way, right? So to me, this is this is uh, same side, inside zone. This Yeah, because right. Kel- Kelsey and Samalo step like it might be duo, but the rest doesn't pan out. Yeah, it's weird. Right, so, I mean, like, so the thing is, like, it's all initially zone footwork. I mean, Brooks Gallup techniques, which is what makes me believe this is zone, and this is a pretty clear example. But in the yeah. middle of these two plays is just a nebulous mess of double teams and slow back reads that the Eagles execute. And I'm telling you, Mike, Miles Sanders is getting good at it. Yeah. Miles Sanders is getting good at it. He is not making mistakes. He is not making it. It has been a couple of weeks before he has made an egregious Easily identifiable mistake reading a second-level defender, reading a first-level defender on a run. It has been a hot second. So the Eagles losing Jordan Howard sucks. It's been bad for the offense. They've been struggling to deal with it without him. But the 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 development time, the reps it's given to Miles Sanders is a massive silver lining because he's mm-hmm. becoming a more effective runner. And if Sanders catches up to Howard in terms of decision-making, generally, like doesn't have to be like, oh, he's as good of a vision, as good a decision-maker because Howard's pretty good there. If, if Sanders just clears the bar of being a liability at times he's yeah. a better athlete and and he makes guys miss in space i mean this nine yard run should have been a four yard run he mm. shakes uh alec ogletree in a way you should not shake alec ogletree at a really tight angle you know like he is a fluid mover and this yep. is what was exciting about sanders when he came out it's what made him a, a, a top 60 draft selection so eagles running the football i have been talking about this for two months and i still i can't tell you I can't tell you what the keys are every single time. I can't tell you what exactly I've called the concept every single time. It's fluid. Usually they're identifying the will. Sometimes it's the mic. And usually the mic it's zone and the will it's duo. That's your typical concept, your typical rules. But there's a lot of nebulous stuff there. I think it's just it, it's to the credit of Jeff Stoutland and to the credit of of the offensive line and the continuity and the communication that they're able to execute in this way because I by no means am like a NFL defensive coordinator watching this stuff, but I can tell you it's really hard to key on this and to play it. I mean, the Eagles have been running these thick double teams, this inside zone, same side uh, the same side power we talked about with Sanders. They're running inside zone week, and they've been running this duo for a while, and nobody has a good answer for it. As the running game continues to be good, Sanders is not making mistakes. I'm beginning to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit accordingly. Um, and it, it, it's these double teams. There's just, I mean, watching Lane and Brooks double team, it's just a, a joy and a half. Uh, and, and the Eagles are a really effective offensive line on these concepts, man. I agree with you. And I, and I agree with you on the fact that there's been a lack of it. it it's weird because we, I've, I've watched a, a ton of running backs. Miles Sanders was one of the worst examples of being able to point out how many boneheaded decisions he could make in a game even as a rookie, even watching other rookies. If that gets cleaned up, that is such a massive plus because the athleticism, the ability, the the, the shake and the bake, the game slows down, all that stuff. If you can break some more tackles consistently, which he has, 
needles pointing up. And this is this is what you were talking about with the experience of Sanders. We were saying that he should have gotten more of these reps in like the Jets game. It shouldn't have taken like Howard going down. They should they should have been parsing those rep, reps out throughout the season. I mean, they tried to. He got you know double in the Jets game. He did well. He got okay. He got double digit rushing double digit rushing attempts in the first couple games of the season. And then when they were kind of like, like, we can't trust you. Aha. Uh-huh, right. So 11, 10, 13, 11, first four weeks, the yeah. Jets game, he had nine and he's yeah. credited by PFR with a start for four of those five games. <laughs> Next week's three rushing attempts, six rushing attempts, three rushing attempts. That's right? what I mean. Right. Well, that was Minnesota, Dallas and Buffalo. Yeah. Jordan Howard was healthy this time. Now, they, this was about when he was getting more active in the passing game for sure. Um, But then. Starting in the Chicago game, 10 carries. And then Howard went down during the Chicago game against New England, 11, Seattle, 12. And then Miami and New York, 17 and 15. Those are his two highest marks of the season. So there was a lull there where Howard was clearly the better runner, more effective, and Sanders was losing reps accordingly. Now he's being forced into more reps. And he's getting better. But as we know, development is, is, is fits and starts. It's not linear. So that's the way that these things go sometimes. All right. So that's our chat on the offensive side of the ball. When we come back here on the Kiss and Solak Show, we'll hit up the defensive side of the ball. That's coming up next right here on the Kiss and Solak Show. And we are back here on the Kissed and Solak Show episode 156. Is that right? I think it's no, it's 157. Did I say it wrong at the top? Who cares? We'll figure it out. 157. Michael Kiss here with Benjamin Solak. Brought to you, of course, by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Ben, some interesting things happened on the defensive side of the ball. Number one, you had a bunch of uh, busts, or uh, at least one very, very big bust, and then some other smaller ones as well. But then the defense got their crap together in the second half and uh, held uh, Eli Manning to what? 29, 29 yards in the second half, as Not has been noted by many. I think the whole offense was 29. I think Manning was even less. Oh, that's right. No, it was the whole offense yes. to 29 yards. You that idiot. is that is wild. Ronald Darby, brother, what an awful, awful game. Normally, normally, I'm snapping on Jalen Mills for being bad. I didn't think he was good in this game anyway. Ronald Darby was just awful. And you highlighted one of the, the coverage busts. I believe it was it the 55-yard touchdown, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. That one based on what we had seen later in the game from a coverage perspective, what they were trying to do. Looks like it was definitely on Darby. McLeod coming down. Ben, you want to explain that one a little bit? Well, here's the issue, okay? I'll tell you what the problem is. Here's the issue. I'll tell you what the (laughs) issue is. Mike, here's the problem. This is the issue. In the post game, the messaging from the, the defensive secondary, from the defensive coaching staff, was that Ronald Darby did not hear the call, Mm. which is fine. It happens. A lot. If he didn't hear the call, he didn't hear the call. But he's not heard the call? Right. A lot. Is it a pre-snap communication thing? Or is it Darby's just not there mentally? I, my theory is that he didn't not hear the call. My theory is that he doesn't understand what he needs to do in these in these coverages. And then mm. instead of saying that about your starting corner, you say, oh, he didn't hear the call. Or if you're Darby, you heard the call. You didn't know what you were supposed to do. You effed it up. And then when people are like, what happened? Like, oh, I didn't hear the call. That's what I would do because I'm yep. shameful and a liar. But like, you know, this is what I in turn, like. But the, the, I agree. Right. The point here being, I would be more inclined to believe he didn't hear this specific play call. If I did not have five other examples on my timeline of when he's responsible for a deep half coverage, him goofing. Let's talk about the play. Darius Slayton, 55-yard touchdown, 36 seconds left in the second. Third and five. Third and eight. Third and five. Uh, (laughs) Third and eight. (laughs) 
Here's here's why I don't here's why I, I don't buy the fact that Darby didn't hear the call. He is five yards from the cloud. What is there's no you're at home. There's no audible. There's no motion to make you change it. What's there not to hear? Right. Which <laughs> I like. I don't I'm know. Sorry. Watching him and, and this is the thing. Okay, he didn't hear the call. I now watch him after the snap, and I'm asking to myself, what did he think was the call? Mm. Because he talks to McLeod after the call. Right. Or after the play. Because if he thought that the only explanation is that he thought McLeod was going to drop into deep half and he was going to play the flat. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Because if he thought he was in man, he was getting smoked anyway. <laughs> He's yep. not in a position to make a play. So I think he clearly thinks that Rodney McLeod is supposed to be the one gaining depth, which then begs the question, he can see McLeod <laughs> not gaining depth. McLeod can't see him. McLeod turns faster. McLeod turns quicker than him, like before him. Right. Well, because McLeod's like, all right, I'm in flat coverage. Ronald Darby is is deep on top of this route. This is like a deep and comeback or a back shoulder. Maybe I can affect this play. But for Darby, like if you're Darby, you're like, all right, I think I have the flat. And I think McLeod's going deep. Well, when you initially start stemming to the flat and you can still see Ronnie McLeod, I'm here to tell you he hasn't gone deep. <laughs> so like, even if you didn't hear the call. <laughs> adjust which like that's a hard ask i understand it's a hard ask but the moral of the story is this let's let, yeah. let's let's bring it back to overarching perspectives about philadelphia gentle listeners say it with me jim schwartz wants one thing out of his defense what does he want plus one, in, one the box. in the box plus one in the box in this case it's not that yeah. the eagles are, are are simulating a pressure so at the snap uh malcolm jenkins nigel bradham sugaring the a gap sugaring the b gap look we're bringing four from the left side from the boundary side very close right before the snap Avante Maddox actually sneaks in from the boundary he's going to be the one coming off and and uh, uh, Jenkins and Bradham are going to drop now it's interesting because this pressure is meant to again present four on the 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 boundary side of the formation and the left side of the formation and the hope is that you're going to get a full slide protection to that side to account for all those numbers that will mean that Avante Maddox is unblocked coming across the formation or at the very least you're going to get that right guard to go with Cox who flashes towards the inside and that's where right. you're hoping to get an extra number but the Giants picked this up really well yeah so if you watch when Avante Maddox comes in you'll see that uh Saquon Barkley pushes his right arm out identifying uh the blitzer mm. coming off the corner uh you'll see the center do the same thing as well he points out to the boundary side and then right tackle Mike Rammers points out they've sniffed this out Giants figured this out. So it's a, it's actually a four-man slide to the right. They pick up the blitz very nicely. Failed attempt. Now the Eagles have got Brandon Graham in zone coverage. They've got Nigel Bradham trying to bail. they got Michael J trying to bail. Is advantage Giants from the start. But mm-hmm. if Ronald Darby is able to get back, they take away this option fairly easily, right? Mm-hmm. Why is Ronald Darby responsible for deep half? Well, because with all these guys in the box, potentially threatening to blitz, the Eagles are single high at the snap. They're single high, losing we're in run cover one, running cover one man, running cover three, something like that. After the ball is snapped, deep safety Marcus Epps pushes to the field side, deep half coverage. This is they're rotating into cover two. So one of these players, McLeod or Darby, we believe Darby, needs to drop into deep half coverage in order to be responsible for the other deep half of the field. This is something Philadelphia has tried to do in a lot of different ways. The reason they're doing this is the same reason they do inverted cover two, which mm-hmm. inverted cover two had some good reps in this game, by the way, for anybody who's tracking. Um, but Jenkins had a great one. In oh the, my in gosh. Such a good play. Um, <laughs> why do the Eagles run inverted cover two? This never works. This is stupid. Why are they putting corners and safety? This is dumb. Well, if you want to be plus one in the box, 
you have to bring a safety from deep and put him in the box. So now you only have one safety deep. You're in single high. You're in middle of the field closed. Good. If you're always in middle of the field closed, you're predictable. We're going to call concepts that beat middle of the field closed. So we need to find a way to get into middle of the field open, i.e. two high safeties. After the snap, it's going to force the quarterback to process and do work after the snap, number one. Number two, it's going to let us be plus one in the box while also being too deep, protecting from the deep ball. This is exactly what we want. If that were easy, everybody would do it, but it's not. And so they run inverted cover two, single high pre-snap, but then the safety comes down into the hole. The two corners drop back to high coverage and they fail to cross off uh, to exchange deep posts and they give up touchdowns. Okay, well, we'll scrap inverted cover two. We're going to try to rotate to cover two. So single high safety, you're going to take just one half of the field, the opposite corner. He's going to drop back and he's going to take the other deep half of the field. Well, guess what? Ronald Darby didn't hear the call. Well, we, it, it, you, we're continuing to try to find ways to get into too high out of single high after the snap. And that is a worthy pursuit. And on the chalkboard, it's easy. In practice, it is not as easy. And why are they doing this? Because they can't just play single high. They don't have the personnel to do it. They do not have a good middle of the field safety. Ronald McLeod is not playing well this year. And they don't have good corners man coverage. Yeah. So you're, you know... Forgive me. Screwed two ways here a little bit. You're darned if you yeah. do, and you're darned if you don't. Rocking a hard place. Jim Schwartz gets a lot of criticism for not trying new things. I think that's entirely wrong. When the new things he does try don't work, the name that comes up too much is Ronald Darby. If we're being honest about if, it, if it's if it's dropping into deep half coverage, which is typically a safety thing, but they're asking the corners to do it. I Ronald Darby does not have good plays that stick out to me, which like I've yeah. been leaning on him. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of selection bias here, but they got to stop. They got to find a way to stop asking Ronald Darby to do this, which right. if you go to quarter one, second drive, I think six forty four left. They run this cover successfully. Mm-hmm. Six forty six. Guess who's dropping into the deep half. It ain't Ronald. It's, it's Mills. Mills. Mills does it successfully. J- uh, Malcolm Jenkins sinks into the flat underneath Mills. They've bracketed that route. Nate Gary does a really, really, really good job. Really, really, really quality rep from Nate Gary. Let me say this clearly. Good rep from Nate Gary. Um, who's in the hook curl, sees the check down developing into the flat, knows Malcolm Jenkins won't get there in time. He decides to leave his zone and go close on that route correctly. This is a good, well-calculated risk. Makes a great play. They had everything boxed up. Uh, Jen, uh, what's his name? Manning wants to go to what he thought was going to be the cover one man side for a shot downfield, but because the Eagles rotated from single high and put the safety over that field side nine route, he doesn't take it. So the whole point of this coverage is how it's supposed to work. But if you can only do it in one direction, it's not going to be as effective. So you need your other yeah. corner to be successful in dropping into the steep half zone. So again, what are the Eagles trying to do? They're trying to be plus one in the box. What's the problem with that? They're stuck in the middle of the field closed. What's the solution? We're going to rotate the two high post snap. Is that successful? No. And Ronald Darby is typically the culprit. The end. Mills can't run anybody, but he's smart and he can handle these types of concepts. Darby. The thing with Mills is you can you can run with anybody when you're mod coverage. Man everywhere deep. Man, or excuse me, man only deep. When when yep. Mills knows he's gonna bail to deep half, and he knows he has a flat defender underneath him, i.e., yeah, cover yeah, yeah. two safety, he's great. Which is why people mm. want Mills to be a safety. Cover two safety is gonna protect him from all this hokum, all this nonsense yep. that he's not able to do when he's in man coverage. So great situation for Mills. 
But if your other side of your defense can't execute, then you can't execute. Let's go good call, bad call. Let's go quarter one, the first play of quarter one. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's third and 13, 15 minutes, first first play of the second quarter. This is the 35-yard touchdown to Darius Slayton. This is the only third down in which the Eagles blitzed. The only one. Listen, fool me t- once, shame on you. <laughs> fool me twice, I could have lost to Eli Manning with the playoffs on the line. Exactly, Yeah. So the Eagles come with their their typical blitz here. Cover zero. You've got man across the board. Darby is eight yards, nine yards off at the uh, at the snap against uh, Slayton, who just runs a simple slant. Man, Booger on the broadcast says that you know if I'm defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, I'm going to heat Eli Manning up a little bit. I'm I'm going to trust my corners and bring a blitz, uh, brother. Trust in the corners isn't something we're going to do right now in Philadelphia. We need to give them some help. This is Eli Manning on third and 13. Ben, would you have brought this? Bl- I know. Understand. Darby has to make this tackle. And I get right. the philosophy behind it. You want to knock them right. out of field goal range. Honestly, right? again, shout out Jimbo for in the press being like, this is 100% on me. When Ronald Darby, if he just tackled, <laughs> would have been a perfectly fine play. So I right. appreciate Jimbo falling on the sword there for a player who just simply should have made a tackle. I, I still think it's back. It's third and 13. I mean, what, what was it? Miami went zero blitz on third and 13, third and 15, whatever it was. And everyone says, well, this is why they're tanking earlier in the season. It's third and 13 against Eli Manning. Ben, I'm running down the list here. And outside of that, that one play with Darby that we just talked about, the 55-yard touchdown on third and eight, this is what happened on the rest of the third downs. Four-man rush incomplete. Picket fence incomplete. Four-man rush incomplete. Four-man rush incomplete. Four-man rush sack. Four-man rush incomplete. Four-man rush incomplete. Four-man rush incomplete. Picket fence, negative one yard. Four-man rush incomplete. It's Eli Manning. You don't need to do this. He'll do it for you. Again, again, again. They figured it out. They did a good (laughs) job. They did a lot of invert two. They did a lot of rotating the two high. They did a lot of just sitting in two high and being okay with giving five yards to Saquon Barkley. So by the third quarter, they gave up no points. Third quarter, fourth quarter, they figured it out. Now, is there a warranted question (laughs) about why it took us so long to get here and why we we don't figure this out in other games? Absolutely. Is there a warranted question of why even – bother blitzing on third and 13 yes uh, the, well I, it is a warranted question but honestly it's like i said in the, in the immediate postgame pod it's it's third and 13 at edge of field goal range every defense coordinator in the entire world wants to blitz in that situation it's really tough want, for me to fault that i get it Mike, i get it but you get the again? sack it's a punt but he, you're not gonna get a sack he's gonna see six coming he's gonna get rid of the ball he's a coward we know this i agree i'm just saying <laughs> I don't think you could reasonably expect other defensive coordinators to make different decisions in that context. Third and 13. Get out of here. I disagree. So way. we disagree. On Listen. Uh, right. We disagree. I think we disagree on the on, on, on the degree of our frustration. But also, yeah. let us not forget that when that play happened, I ran to the timeline to kill Jimbo. So maybe <laughs> level heads are prevailing. But it's not like I was immediately like, well, guys, let's think about this. I was more so like, are you freaking kidding me? Why would you do this? So, yeah, yeah I get it. I appreciate that Jimbo said it's on him. Yeah, Again, Darby's there are so few games in the NFL where it's like, hey, if we just sit in seven-man zones, we're going to be fine. Take them mm-hmm. when you can get them. And yeah. the Eagles did in the second half, and it's the reason why they gave up no points and what ended up being a winning effort. They, they did figure it out. I thought Jimbo overall was pretty good in this game. Jimbo. So, Jimbo saves his job after losing his job, after saving his job, after losing his job. That's been the story of his season. Ben, uh, maybe we'll talk about some quick individual performances before we go, before we get out of here. Good game, bad game, uh, good game 
Vinnie Curry, we talked about it on the recap show. Yeah. He was whooping. He was whooping some butt. A couple sacks picked up, whatnot. Good he was game, good. Josh Sweat, too. J.I. Josh, Josh Sweat. Josh Sweat game. saved him on the third and 13, where Marcus Epps. On the flea, flea flicker, flicker play. Like, everybody's like, City Jones came in cold off the bench and saved the Eagles season. Yeah, I'm here to tell you, Giants <laughs> would have scored a few points on that yeah. flea flicker, if not for Josh Sweat murdering Nate Solder, who is the worst contract in the league. I'm absolutely positive. Oh, yeah. my heavens. Multiple backup defensive ends for the Philadelphia Eagles burning this cat. He's like do $80 million over five years. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good so game, Josh Vinny Sweat. Curry and uh, yeah. Josh Sweat playing just as consistently right. as anyway. Fletcher Cox, great game. Good game, Malcolm Jenkins. High yeah. rate of impact, high influence, flying around the defensive backfield, physical against Saquon Barkley. It's tough to fill against Barkley. Thought he did well in that regard. Good game, Nate Gary. Good game, Nate Gary. Said it on the post game. Still mean it. Good game. Doesn't change my overarching opinion on Nate Gary, but good game, Same. Nate Gary. The play, the person I'm most impressed with after going through the film is still Doug Peterson. Thought the offense design was great. Thought that yeah. he found a very limited. I can okay. So let me put it this way: I can understand why they looked at this Giants secondary and said, "Let's get vertical against them." I don't care. I understand why some of it didn't work. I was a little less enthused about some of the early schemes that they that they dialed up they got it together and they got some shot plays out of a decimated group and the short game stuff the quick game stuff worked beautifully i thought it was a great game by doug who made the right adjustments james betcher did not exactly i think i was going to say i think that that peterson found a small slice of offense that was working wrenched that puppy open and poured out for all it was worth you know what i mean like he got (laughs) like you know when all it takes is putting like a tight end in motion or putting a back in motion, you're getting ripping off chunk plays, screens, yeah. swings, the Dallas Goddard vertical, the Zach Ertz leak uh, mm-hmm. on, on uh, the post post corner route. Like that's a lot of mileage out of simple stuff. To me, that's a hallmark of a good play call, a good play designer, I should yep. say, really not so much the play call, but, but putting it on the chalkboard early in the week. So impressed uh, with that for uh, for Doug Peterson. He's the one I, I came away most excited about. Ben, I think that's going to do it for this film review show of the Eagles and the Giants. We got a quick turnaround. We got to get to some Washington stuff. Of mm-hmm. course, on the QB Sco show, we already started previewing Dwayne Haskins and what all that means. So we did a little spying on him. We did a little spying on uh, Carson Wentz's. Hayne Dwaskins. <laughs> I'm really upset okay. I haven't thought of that before, but I have now. Uh, ben, yeah. would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Oh, and uh, I just I just checked before we started recording. We were asking for five star reviews to catch up with the uh, with the receiving yards that the Eagles have gotten out of their wide receivers for the year. Uh, currently, we're sitting at twelve hundred and nineteen, so we've gotten seventeen new five star reviews since that request. We are at a much higher pace than Matt Collins has been in his life. So, thank you very much for that, gentle listeners. Keep them coming. Yes, and thank you as always uh, for listening to the Kiss and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. This was the Eagles and Giants recap pod following the win on Monday night that kept the Eagles in the playoff hunt. Who's excited? I know that I am. Uh, <laughs> short week, so turn around here. This pod is out on Wednesday. Hopefully Friday, Saturday, you'll get your preview shows for the Eagles. Second bout with the Washington Redskins new head coach. New quarterback, new things to talk about there in Washington, a team that was now just officially nixed from the playoff hunt after going 3-10 and over their first 13 games of the season. Fun fact about the Redskins, Mike. Over their last 20 games, they are 4-16. and hmm. here's, here's the thing about that. <laughs> Not good. 
Eagles got to win this one to make the week 16 game against the Cowboys for the division. We'll get you ready for it. Eagles offense, Redskins defense, Redskins offense, Eagles defense. As Mike said, pushing for as many reviews as we can get. We would like to end with more reviews in the bank than the Eagles have receiving yards from their wide receivers in this regular season. Uh, which is a really quite a morbid bet considering the injuries that they're dealing with. But we thought of it in the middle of last week's podcast or yesterday's podcast, and we're going to keep it rolling. Uh, so please go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. He's been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. I've been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T Friday. So and we'll talk to you next. It's like you're testing if I'm listening now. I now now I'm hearing it. You went a week and you I didn't hear it. Never listen. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Okay, very suspenseful moment right now. You had a look on your face like you were going to jump in there. It totally right. threw me off. I got the mouse battery very low notification, like one third of the way through the pod. And I just like <laughs> have not been using my mouse since. That's why like, huh? I like didn't know the timestamps for these plays. I was just like doing it from memory and my notes. <laughs> so I have not with the mouse since. So if it's not, if it's dead, I can't stop the recording. You, you have a new issue every week. Whether your mic's turned around to where <laughs> the plastic piece is facing you, you've got your, your dog, or you're just too far away from the mic, or you're slamming your table and it's causing a reverb. I slammed my table once during this podcast, by the way. You're, you're, or, or your mouse is, is dying. Like I am pleased to report the mouse is working. Oh, what a relief. Big sigh. We've done... 750 of these. You, I mean, uh, uh, we've done 500 Kiss and Solax. You've done... 157. It says it on the thing. Yeah, but we've done other <laughs> stuff before this, though, Ben. Yes. And you do locked on NFL Draft. Like, why is it never the same setup with you people? It is. <laughs> and the reason it's the same setup is because that's why the mouse dies, because it's always on, and I'm always using it, and then eventually it runs out of battery. I'm going to get Jimmy Kemsky send me a file later tonight, and it's going to be clicking his pen throughout the entire podcast, so I don't have to edit that crap out. <laughs> like, like, like he got a new pen just to mess with me because he fixed his mic configuration. <laughs> what if we all had a Slack channel that you weren't in, where we were just like, all right, what's going to make him most upset this time? <laughs> you don't? Because it's nope. starting it's to feel It's all like. just natural, baby. This is just <laughs> off the cuff what I feel. BLG moved to a damn chamber hall. <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> He's got like no. massive echo now. You guys are you guys are a challenge. Oh, Mike, I'm it's sorry. Podcast we want producing. You to it earn be this your paycheck. Is, this, is that what this is? Yes. You you bastards. You working a job as you should, like a person. <laughs> Whoa, Mike, the 2015-2016 Call of Duty World Champion just liked my tweet. Jordan Kaplan. How many followers does he have? 331.4,000. Is he an Eagles fan? My, my son probably uh, knows him. I would guess so. Oh. Otherwise, he just really cares about rotating <laughs> cover two and Ronald Darby's inability to cover Darius Slayton. Who doesn't? I'm, su- I'm, I'm surprised you didn't get Condoleezza Rice like Shout out Jordan Kaplan, friend of the show. All Play right. me in Call of Duty. I don't know. <laughs> Let's end this. <laughs> PGN.